Hey everyone, this is Van Cochran. We're in a series called The Rise of the Church, taken from the early chapters of the book of Acts. The message today is titled, Meet the Resistance, because anytime God moves in a powerful way, the enemy always rises up and resists. And so we're going to see the first persecution of the church today, as well as the heart attitude believers have to have in order to meet that resistance. All right, everyone has seen Star Wars, haven't you? How many? Is, put your hand up if you've seen Star Wars, okay? All right, good. So the rise, uh, the, the title is reflective of some of the Star Wars uh, episodes that they, that they produced. But I have a couple jokes for you from Star Wars, okay? All right, so get ready. Get your thinking cap on, all right? These are smart jokes. All right, so in one episode, Luke... Uh, lost his hand. His hand was cut off with a lightsaber, and they put a new hand on, gave him a new hand. Where did Luke get his new hand? At the second hand store. <laughs> All right, so what program do the Jedis use to um, open an, a PDF file? Adobe One Kenobi. Come on, that's, that's easy. <laughs> Okay, here's the last one. Luke and uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi were out at a Chinese restaurant. Luke is just having a horrible time with the chopsticks. He just can't get them to work. What did Obi-Wan say to him? He said, Luke, use the forks. Use the forks. I know the people that are taking this in by live stream are laughing. They're, they're just... They're, they're rolling on the floor right now laughing. They have a better sense of humor. Okay, so our, our intent in this short series was to go through the opening chapters of the book of Acts and just to talk about the rise of the church and to look at how the church grew, how rapidly it grew, some, some of the great things that happened there, the, the works of power that brought about tremendous ingathering of souls and, and people coming to faith in Jesus. And so we wanted to see that. We wanted to see the boldness involved in that. But we also wanted to recognize that not only is it uh, an exciting time to have thousands of people saved, but it also takes a lot of work. And you see that later in, in this book in Acts chapter 6, where they have to appoint deacons to take care of shepherding the people and distributing food to hungry people in, in the whole group. It takes a lot of work. I mean, imagine if at the end of this sermon, we had a thousand people come piling into this room saying, I want to receive Jesus. Just think of that, a thousand, right? Just right now. That, you know what we'd be doing? We'd be calling you all saying, okay, you got to disciple two people. Okay, you've never discipled anyone before? Well, sorry about that. You got to start right now. Okay, it, it, it is that. It is that. It's going to be exciting, believe me. It's going to be exciting, but it's going to take a lot of work and commitment on all our parts. And there's also something else that's going to come with it, and that is resistance. And that's why I titled the message today, Meet the Resistance. I thought that kind of sounded a little bit Star Wars-y. So, Meet the Resistance. And we're going to read a passage today. It's in, um, we're going to read through a passage today in Acts chapter 4. And what has happened uh, prior to this, 
Peter and uh, John have gone to the temple to pray. There's a lame man there that is over 40 years old. Uh, people know him. He's been there. He's been there day after day at the temple at the gate. And Peter speaks to him words of life and brings healing to this man. And he actually takes the man by the hand and pulls him up. And, and as he does that, this man's legs and ankles are strengthened. And it says the man went running and leaping and praising God. And so it was an instantaneous, powerful, powerful miracle. And all the crowds around want to know what happened. And so Peter takes opportunity to preach his second powerful message. And he gives this message, tells them about Jesus and about the resurrection, uh, that Jesus is resurrected from the dead, and you can have new life too. You can have resurrection life. You can be assured of resurrection after death and new life. And as he's preaching, there's a group there that's listening that doesn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They're called the Sadducees. And that's why they were sad, you see. They were, there were, there were a few different religious groups, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the Essenes. But the, the Essenes were like hermits. They're out in the desert. They're just locked, they're, they're like monks. And so you have the two main groups that are engaged are the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And the Sadducees were like an upper class group. They were wealthy. They, were, they had collaborated with Rome in the respect that they took on Roman culture and they also had some beliefs about the Old Testament that made them think that there was no resurrection from the dead. Now, at the same time, the, uh, the priestly order, almost all the high priests were Sadducees. And the, the Sadducees, all the priests weren't Sadducees, but many of them were. And so the Sadducees and the priesthood are very closely related. And so as we start off reading here in Acts chapter 1, I'm going to read through one, verses 1 through 4. And here Peter's preaching, okay? And it says, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. So they interrupt his message. Right in the middle of his message, they walk on stage with these soldiers, these police from uh, the the temple. And, And it says this, They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They don't believe in that. And so I don't think it was so much that they're worried that the people are being misled as it was, how dare he stand up and contradict us? It was more of a pride thing than it was a real care for truth or for the the people that are are hearing this message. And so they are enraged at that. And and they they, they come on stage and it says, And I don't know if he's standing on stage or not, but verse 3, it says, they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So 5,000 people now, uh, several thousand believers, but in the midst of this revival, it says they seized Peter and John. That is not a gentle word, all right? They didn't walk up and say, "Uh, please come with us and don't resist. No, they came up, they laid hands on them. They grabbed them and they dragged them away. And it says because it was night, they just put them in jail waiting for the next day. Now, 
what we, what we see as, as we move on with this is how Peter and John respond to them. And that's the biggest thing I want us to see today is how they respond and how we can have the same type of heart that they had uh, as, we re, as, as we experience resistance. And this really is the first persecution. It's pretty mild compared to what's coming. You know, it's not too, not too far into the future that, um, that uh, Stephen will be stoned to death. And that real harsh persecution begins. But this is the beginning of it. And it's more a matter of, of persuasion than it is actual physical persecution. Although they do put them in jail for the night. But what we're going to see as, as it goes on is much more severe than this. So it's, the next day, um, a couple of verses here, it says that the whole high priestly family shows up. So the former high priest Caiaphas, the current, or the former high priest Annas, the current high priest Caiaphas, and then two other guys from their family show up for this trial. And, and, and this group that they bring Peter and John be, in, in before to try them is called the Sanhedrin. And it consists of priests, it consists of Sadducees, Pharisees, and elders of the people. And so it's a large group of uh, very powerful and people that you would hold in very high honor and prestige in that country. It says that they brought them in and they put them in the middle. And so this setup is around so that, so that there are these intimidating, powerful people all around Peter and John and they put them right in the middle and that's all an intimidation factor. That's, that's the whole reason for that. And then, then they, they say this. They say, and this question is going to appear on the screen, I think, here in just a second. But it says, by what power or what name did you do this? Now, they can't deny that a miracle has occurred. And for people who don't believe in the supernatural or the afterlife, that's, it puts them in quite a conundrum as to how they're going to address this. And so they start off just putting it right out there to them, to Peter and John. Who gave you the authority to do this? Who's, who's, who, tell us what, whose name is ascribed to your act right now? Who gave you the authority to do this? And here's what we read. Peter and John uh, respond. It says, and really what they're wanting to do, they're wanting to shame them. They're wanting to make them feel ashamed. They're wanting to intimidate them. And I want to say this. So far in our culture, that's the main form of persecution we face. Mostly, most of us. Now, some people are facing different, different hardships and things around the country. But most of the time, it is an, a, a matter of dealing with shame. Because we don't want to, we don't want to sound like some of those uh, uneducated, ignorant Christians out there. You, the, you know, that's, that's how Christianity is portrayed in our culture. And, and that's all an attempt on the enemy's part to make us feel ashamed and, and to make us feel less than. And so that's what they're trying to do with these guys. Here's Peter's response, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, and this means a fresh filling, because he was filled on Pentecost, and now as he's standing here in, in front of uh, these, these, these uh, intimidating people, Holy Spirit comes on Peter. And he said to them, rulers and elders of the people... If, and really it should be translated since, since we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to this man who was lame, and we're being asked how he was healed, then know this. 
Have you ever seen uh, like a military movie, especially if, if it's of the Navy, and a, a broadcast comes on, now hear this, now hear this. So that's, that's what he's saying here. Okay, everybody listen, hear this. Then, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, and that's, that's part of their concern is they're going to, the Sadducees are going to lose standing with the people of Israel. But it's, he says, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And then he says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved, or by which we can be saved. So... I first want to say this. I think it would be a mistake to read into this harshness on Peter's, in Peter's tone of voice or anything other than respect uh, in, 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 as he's speaking. I don't think like he's shaking his b long bony finger at them like we might picture some of the prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, he's just stating truth. And he's stating it with absolute confidence and peace. And that is the thing that these guys can't refute. It is the peace and the confidence with which Peter and John conduct themselves. And you look at it, you say, man, you know, Peter's just a fisherman. It's a good thing he had all night to prepare, isn't it? It's a good thing he was able to spend the night in jail with nothing else to do but to think about what he was going to say when he was brought before them. But that's not what happened. Because Jesus had already told them how to respond when they were brought before councils. And in three different Gospels, in Mark's Gospel, Mark 13, verses 9 through 11, it says this, you must be on your guard because you will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, hear this, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Now, who was it that filled Peter? Holy Spirit. So where did this speech come from? Holy Spirit. What, did, did Peter have notes? Did he pull a three by five card out of his pocket and say, oh, I forgot to say? No, not, he didn't prepare. He had heard Jesus say that and, and he walked it out right now. And you know, in, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says the same thing, but he says, the father will give you the words to speak. And then in, uh, in uh, the other gospel, Luke Jesus repeats the same teaching to them, probably on a different occasion. And when you see things like this, where there's a little bit of a different nuance in what was said, most likely Jesus told them the same thing over and over again. I mean, he had three full years to, to talk to them. And actually the gospels only account for like 32 days of the ministry of Jesus in those three years. And so in, uh, in Luke, he actually says, I will give you the words to speak at that moment. So you know what that means? That means that when you stand before persecution and resistance, the whole Trinity takes notice. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all three involved in what's, what's going to happen next. And what, we, what our response needs to be is just trust. Don't know what I'm going to say, but you're going to give it to me. 
Don't know how I'm going to respond. Don't even know what they're going to ask me, but I'm confident you're going to give me wisdom to know what to say and how to respond. And, and that's, that's, that's what was happening here. And, and, and this is a, a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing that we need to get not only in our minds as far as like consciously saying, well, yeah, I read that verse. I memorized that verse. You know, don't prepare ahead of time. Holy Spirit will give you what to say in the moment. I've memorized that. But what we need to do is get that from just simply being something I know to being something that settles deep in my heart, deep in my spirit. You could call it even deep in my subconscious mind because the subconscious will always will always win in a battle with the conscious because the subconscious is just going to react. Uh, a few years ago, well, my whole life, I've, I've been afraid of spiders. Anybody else afraid of spiders? I mean, they're creepy. They bite you. It's, they're awful. I've always hated spiders. I had dreams about spiders when I was a little boy. And um, then probably 15 years ago, I was carrying an, an armload of wood at our house, and um, don't do that, okay? Don't carry wood like this because spiders live in wood. And a spider bit me right there, a brown recluse. That's what my doctor said it was, bit me right there. And do you know what? I've still got my arm. My arm did not fall off. I didn't die. I didn't, I didn't have horrible, horrible pain for months or anything. Now, some people do when they get bitten by a brown recluse. But what that said to me was, I can survive a spider bite. So in my mind, I have decided that spiders aren't quite as bad as I've made them out to be over the years, all right? So I, I believe that. I've said that many times. Now, last week, I was driving in the Kroger parking lot, going to shop. I'm probably going 15 miles an hour and have my hand on the wheel, my other hand here, and suddenly I felt something on my arm right there. I looked down. I still don't know what it was, but it, something was on my arm, and, and I panicked, and, and I'm, I mean, fortunately, I had this hand on the wheel. And so in order to see my wrist, I turned and I turned into, I was at a part of the parking lot where there weren't any other cars. I just turned, fortunately, I turned into an area where there was parking, but no cars. There. I, I turned like that so I could smack this thing on my arm and I'm smacking it on my arm and I get the car stopped and then it's gone. And I'm thinking, oh no, where is it? And I'm looking down on the floor and I can't find it. And I'm thinking, okay, it crawled under the seat. It's going to come out. It's going to crawl up my pant leg and bite me. I know that. I know that. It's going to happen. And the only thing on the floor was a leaf, a dead leaf, about that long and about that wide. And, and I'm thinking, maybe it was the leaf somehow. I don't know what it was, but I know in spite of the fact that I have said over and over again, I'm not nearly as afraid of spiders as I used to be. When I thought there was a spider on my arm, my subconscious thinking took over. I didn't have to say, oh, I wonder what that is. Do you think that could be a spider? If it is, is it a poisonous spider? Should I, how should I react? None of that. Just, I just reacted. And so the point of that is my fear of spiders is still there deep down inside, in spite of what I say with my mind. Okay, so there's truth like that, that what we have to do is to have it move from just something that I acknowledge and I say, yeah, that's true. Yeah, God provides. God's the provider. Yep. But then I hear that there are going to be layoffs in my department and I don't sleep for three nights. I panic. 
or I, yeah, I'm going to trust God with that relationship, but then that other person doesn't call me when they said they would, and all of a sudden I'm in turmoil thinking, oh, what did I do? What did I say? What, you know, what, why are they mad at me? And so a big part of spiritual growth really is bringing what we believe and what we have seen and say, yeah, that's truth, bringing that from there into the, the heart, you could say the heart, the subconscious mind, or the, the, the Bible calls it the spirit of your mind. In Ephesians, it says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And so these guys could respond this way with peace and confidence because they had been renewed in the spirit of their mind. It wasn't just they were thinking, yeah, Jesus told us that, and we believe it. Yeah, we believe it. But it had really sunk deep into them. And do you know how that happens? That happens through revelation. It's the Holy Spirit who brings about this move of truth deep into our spirits. And sometimes there are things God has to take out of the way for that to happen. Sometimes there, there are things that we're holding on to in our minds or our hearts, and they have to be taken out of the way, which I'm going to talk about in a few moments. But they, they had this thing deep in their hearts, so they're able to respond with this type of confidence and peace and, and, and just a, 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 real, a real sense of wisdom. Now, I haven't had that happen to me often, but I did have this happen to me one time at least. One time that was was really clear, and that was when I was in Zimbabwe, I think it was 2013, with Robbie Dawkins, and we were traveling through the country for two and a half weeks, and stopping everywhere, praying for people. So we had been out praying for people on the street over and over again at this time. And we went to this one city, and we went to the bus terminal. And the bus terminal was a big open area, you know, not covered with a roof or anything like that. And we break up into teams, and we're going to go out, and we're going to do power evangelism. And um, I, I was assigned to take two young black African men and one young African woman with me. And we're going to go out, and we're going to do power evangelism. So I'm, I'm helping them to figure out what to do. And they found this old man sitting on the curb. And they walk up to him, and they're talking to him, and he's going to let them pray for them, for him. And then this, this guy stepped in. He was dressed in a leather jacket, probably two inches taller than me, and maybe 30 pounds of muscle more on him than was on me, and at least 30 years younger than me. But um, he stepped in and pushed them aside. He just went like this, pushed one of them aside, and that old man's sitting there, and he's like this, yelling at the old man like this and throwing his finger at him. In, a, in, in, their, in their native language. And then he walks away, and the old man's just sitting there shaking his head, no, no, no. And, and I, I asked one of the guys I'm with, I said, what happened? And he said, well, he told the old man that if he lets us pray for him, this guy and his friends will come back later and beat him. And, um, and they, they had teams like that of people that were kind of hired by the government to be out. Uh, whether you call them secret police or not, I'm not sure, but... We knew that there were teams like that that were out there, and they had, they had been watching us. And um, one, a phrase that Robbie had used over and over again was, we're not going to let the devil have the last word. And so something just rose up inside of me. And, and I just said, we're not going to let the devil have the last word. And I said, where'd that guy go? And one of the guys standing right here, he said, Van, no. 
And then I said, no, come on, guys, where is he? And another one took a step over. His eyes were big, and he said, Van, please don't. And he was trying to block my vision so I wouldn't see the guy because the guy was to my left, probably about from here to the second row away, leaning up against a car. And so I, as soon as I saw him, I just had this boldness come on me. And I walked up to him, and I just said, hi, I'm Van. What's your name? And I held my hand out. He said, what do you care what my name is? And I said, well, yeah, I'm just, just trying to be friendly. I just saw you here. I wanted to meet you. Say hello. So, yeah, I'm Van. What's your name? And he said, why do you care? And then this is just the, this is just the dialogue. He said, we have too many white people in this country already. And I said, I, you know, I can't change that. I can't change, you know, who I am. But I, I just wanted to say hi to you. Wanted to meet you. And I stuck my hand out again and said, I'm Van. What's your name? And then he said, don't you have enough problems? Don't you have any problems in your own nation? And I said, yeah, man. I said, I'm from America. I said, we have more problems than we know what to do with. At that point, something changed. And he, he was extremely hostile prior to that. Now he became more exasperated than hostile. And he looked at me and he said, then why are you here? Just like that. And I just said, because Jesus Christ told me to come here. And he looked at me for a second, then he held his hand up, took my hand, and he, as he stood up to walk away, he said, well, in that case, God bless you, as he's walking away. And um, as he's walking away, I didn't let go of his hand. And, and as he stretched out, I just jerked his arm a little, and he turned with a little bit of hostility in his eyes. And it, his eyes said this to me. They said, do you know what you're doing? Do you know how close you are to a beating or whatever? And, and I leaned up to him and just got close to him. And I just said, man, God bless you. You know, God loves you. And then he left and walked away. But that was God. That wasn't me. I don't do stuff like that well. I get all tensed up and everything. But there was in some, for some, in some way at, at that moment, that really sunk deep into my heart. And it wasn't just, well, I believe God can do this kind of thing. But it, it was just there. And that's what's happening for these guys right now. They're just experiencing this anointing from God where there's boldness and wisdom and clarity and no fear. And, and just, well, here's the next thing to say. And, and it's simple. It's just so, my conversation with that guy was so simple. It was just simple. And that's what they're experiencing right now because it's the Holy Spirit that's on them. But you know as well, what we have to recognize, and I think what they knew by this time was uh, the, the Sanhedrin was not the enemy. And I knew that that day. That's why I said, the first thing I said was, we're not going to let the enemy have the last word here. I, didn't, I wasn't referring to that guy. I was referring to the powers behind the whole thing. And so we need to recognize that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers and spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's where the battle is. And so especially in our, in our day today, in our culture today, where if you post the wrong thing online, you're going you're gonna to have tremendous hatred and vitriol coming back at you. Um, we need to recognize other people are not the enemy. We do not wrestle with flesh and blood. Other people are never the enemy. 
There's spiritual forces behind this whole, everything. And especially what's happening today, there's just a whole layer of spiritual warfare happening that is stirring all of this. I love what Micah shared about, you know, God's, God's not nervous, he's not anxious, and his government lasts. We recognize that. We just, right here, we recognize that. And Holy Spirit, reveal that to me so that it's, so that it's in my entire being. So that it's just my, my response is, God's got this. But when you recognize that, it gives you the ability then not to react the way you're being treated. If someone, if someone, uh, if someone comes to you offensively, and if you think, well, this is the enemy, and I got to convince this person of this, and I need to win this argument, then you are no different than them in your methods. But if you recognize, no, there's something else happening here. There's a, spiritual, there's a spiritual battle taking place. And Holy Spirit, I need your wisdom right now. I'm going to rest in your wisdom. I don't know what argument I'm going to use. I don't know what I'm going to say here. But it's your wisdom I'm looking for. Then, then, then we are able to walk like followers of Jesus rather than just like anyone else in the culture that is engaged in arguing and, and debating. And, and that's what I see here with these guys. They're, they're just ready to do that. And they have a passion because of the last thing Peter said there. Salvation is found nowhere else other than in the name of Jesus. You know, if there were a hundred ways to God, if there were a thousand ways to God, there'd never be any resistance. Because we wouldn't have to do anything. We wouldn't have to sacrifice to send people around the world. We wouldn't have to to proclaim the message of Jesus and the resurrection of the dead. And, you know, most, most people in this country, and probably a lot of Christians even, people that are, that are believing uh, in Jesus, would say there are many ways to God. Well, if there really were many ways to God, then good luck, buddy. Go find one. You don't have to take mine. And so th- the reason that there's passion behind this is that there's only one way to God. The only way your neighbor is ever going to come to, it, to, to know God is through Jesus. The only way your son or your daughter or your mother or your father or your brother or your sister, the only way your coworker is ever going to come to God is through Jesus. That's why it's worth facing the resistance. That's why. Because people need God and they only come to God through Jesus. So as you, as you go on in this passage... The, um, the leaders are kind of befuddled. They don't quite know what to do. And um, so they're, they send the apostles out, and they're trying to figure out, um, you know, what their next step is. And uh, as they do that, let me see here. Yep. They're trying to figure out what their next step is. So they call them back in, verse 18, it says, They called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Well, how's that going to work, do you think? Acts 4, 19 and 20, remember, there's only one way. They've got to speak Jesus. They've got to. And that's what they say. Uh, Peter and John replied in verses 19 and 20, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. First of all, I want to say this. It's simple. You talk about what you've seen and what you've, what you've learned. It's simple. It's just 
hey, I mean, it's as simple as me talking to that guy. Hey, I just want to be friends with you. That's all. It's as simple as just saying, hey, Jesus changed my life. I've seen him change other people's lives. I've seen him free drug addicts. I've seen him heal people. And so it's just just simple like that. We talk about what we've seen and and what God's shown us. But as as they're speaking this way, I can't help but wonder if they didn't think of Daniel and uh, the three friends of Daniel who were told to worship an idol. And here's, here's a key thing. When it comes to governmental leaders, uh, we're told to obey them. Romans 13.1, obey, obey your rulers and your leaders because God has established them in authority. And no authority comes except from God. Now, don't want to try to unpack all of that and all the ramifications of that. But I just want to say this. We honor our governmental leaders up to the point that they tell us to do something that dishonors God or is more than that, that something that is a direct violation of truth and scripture. And so these three young friends of Daniel's, they served King Nebuchadnezzar for years and years and years doing everything he told them to do. And you know how we know that? Because if they hadn't done everything he told them to do, he would have had them killed. Daniel served for years and years and years and years following Nebuchadnezzar as his leader. And it wasn't until these three young men were told that they had to worship an idol that they drew the line and they said, nope, we're not going to do that. And they said, oh, king, even, even if you, th- our, you know, our God's able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we are not bowing to your idol because that would have violated scripture. And Daniel, they told Daniel, you're not allowed to pray anymore. What's Daniel do? Daniel goes right home that day, opens his window, and prays. He knows his enemies are watching, and, and he's just going to, he's just, okay, I'm going to do it, and I'm not going to hide. He opens his window and prays, and then they throw him in a lion's den, and of course, God shuts the mouths of the lions. God delivered the three young men from the fiery furnace. But Peter and John, now, they're, they're responding with the same type of answer and the same type of, of strength and courage. And so, what we need is to have the truth of who God is revealed to us. Revelation, in in Ephesians, it talks about this. In Ephesians 1, verses 17 and 18, I just want to read it to you. Here's what it says. Paul says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. How do you know God better? Because he gives you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. The Holy Spirit opens your heart and your mind to see and to absorb the truth. And then he goes on and he prays this. He says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. They all knew these things. It wasn't like this was all surprise to them, but Paul's praying, I pray the Holy Spirit will take 
what you have acknowledged, what you've seen with your minds, and that he will make it just part of your very heart, your spirit, your subconscious mind, however you want to call it. Later he calls it in this book, the spirit of your mind. And so there is this renewal that needs to happen. And as, as I said before, sometimes there are things that get in the way of that renewal of heart and, and the revelation that happens. And I think the main thing that gets in the way is where our allegiances lie. Where, where do my allegiances lie? We all know God is our top allegiance. We all know that. We know there are certain things that are obviously uh, we can't put first, like money, power, fame, uh, and, and a number of other things that we know. Well, you, you, that's just flat out wrong to put that all ahead of God. But there are other things that God may even give to us that may be gifts from God that we can give our primary allegiance to and allow those things to grip our hearts in a way that make it almost impossible for us to receive everything God has for us. For instance, a job that God gave you. God gives you this job. It's a great job. Or a career. He leads you into it. It's a great career. And you're just, you're, at first, you're just so thankful. Thank you, God. You've done this. It's so wonderful. But as time goes on, you start to own that career yourself. Not as if it's a gift from God, but as if it's, it's something that is yours. And you're clinging to it. And not only that, but it gets hold of your heart. So that when you hear there are going to be layoffs, there's, there's panic and, and fear and, and anxiety. And how do you know that something, even a good thing, uh, has hold of your heart so much that it's, it's, it's taking your allegiance ahead of God? That you're giving it more allegiance than you are God? I would say a few ways. One is that you're triggered you know what triggering means? That means something happens, and you don't know why you're responding this way, but all of a sudden, you're just flooded with emotion and, and anger and resentment, and, you, and you, want, you feel defensive, and so you go on the offensive. That's one way you can know. Um, other ways, there might be decisions you have to make, and, and when you're making that decision, you really have to evaluate, what am I doing, and how am I going to do it? You know, when we, when we hired Luke and Will... There was a lot of kind of like stress in our system because we had to refinance this building and we didn't have the money to hire them to put them on staff. But, but I was quite convinced that it was God's leading a will that we hire them. And so um, I remember wrestling through that in my office one day, sitting there praying, and I looked at the wall and the wall kind of like became representative of this whole building. And I thought, well, what if we hire them and then we can't refinance the building and we lose the building? I thought... That's not the end of the world. That doesn't mean the kingdom of God's going to grind to a halt. And I can't allow my sense of responsibility to this building to preclude what I'm convinced God wants me to do. And so at that moment, I just said, well, okay, whatever happens, I would rather look back and say, okay, I did that. Yep, I was convinced God told me to do that. I'd rather look back and say that than to look back and say, yeah, boy, what could have been? And so God just gave me the strength by clarifying in my minds where the priorities were, where the allegiances were. And I had to separate my allegiance from this building to whatever God was doing to advance his kingdom. Hired them. Someone came in the next week and gave me a large check to pay for it. So, you know, what, what else about highest allegiances? Um, 
I want to share this with you. You know, when COVID-19 first hit, I kind of came into it like gangbusters. I came into it strong. You know, this is going to, this is going to lead us to revival, and I still believe it is, and we're going to make it through this, and it's going to be okay. God's with us. Jesus is with us. No fear. Let's just charge ahead, full steam ahead. And, and I, was, I was really just walking in this sense of confidence and peace like that. About six weeks in, maybe eight weeks in, when all the other turmoil and the riots started in the country, I, I started to get fixated on that. And, and I was getting up in the morning, and the first thing I was doing was reading the newspaper. And oftentimes, the last thing I'd do before bed is I'd check uh, my websites and see if there are any new articles. Do you know, one night, literally... I read this article that kept me up half the night. I probably got three, four hours of sleep that night. Next morning, I, I go to the same site, and there was a retraction of that article. Can you believe that? They said, hey, that was wrong. Sorry. Sorry about that. Okay, thank you. I lost a whole night's sleep over that. But what eventually happened was I had um, someone close to me challenge me and said, it seems like you're re- overreacting to some things. And it seems like you're, you're just reacting at a gut level that, do you know why that is? So I had to start thinking about that. And what God spoke to me was this. He said that I had made kind of like an idol out of my vision and dream for America. And that I was f- more fixated on that than I was on the kingdom of God coming. And, 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 and. Don't get me wrong, I, I don't like want to go back. <laughs> I don't want to go back to the 50s or anything like that. That's, that would be horrible to do. And there's a lot of things we need to change in our nation. There's no question about that. But, uh, but, but God spoke to me and said that, that that was becoming an idol to me. And so I had to say, okay, God, then I'm going to give that up. And what if? What if things fall apart, but we have revival? What if, you know, the the most repressive nation in the world, or one of the most repressive nations in the world right now, is having a huge revival, China. One of the other ones, Iran, is having a huge revival. In China, there are millions of people being saved. We talked to someone recently who had been in China for some time, is Chinese, grew grew up there. And and he said, well, you know, it's like you're going, you, you ride the bus and you meet people, and you meet the same person three or four times and chat with them. Then you have coffee with them, and you just say, hey, have you ever read the Bible? And, and the person says, no. Well, would you like to? And, he said, and they say, yes, because they're not like a post-Christian culture. And, and so then you just start meeting with them and reading the Bible with them, and, and so many of them are getting saved. So I had to think that through. Well, what if, what if this doesn't maintain and, and what if, and, and really just shift my allegiance from, yeah, boy, this, I really want America to be primo to, uh, you know, the kingdom. And yeah, I still want America to be good. I'm still going to vote in ways that I think will, you know, move, move the nation ahead. But I had to just let that out of my heart. And that wasn't long after that I had a conversation with someone that would have triggered me earlier before that. And it was just a good, calm conversation. I didn't feel like I had to convince this other person. We disagreed. I didn't feel like I had to convince them that I was right or have this, this anxiety in me. How dare, how could they say that? And, and I've got to show them that they're wrong. That was gone. And, and what that has done for me is to free me to just to see things more clearly as far as the kingdom goes. Does this make sense what I'm saying? 
And, and there are a lot of things in our lives we have to evaluate our allegiances. What is your top allegiance given to right now? And it needs to be Jesus and the kingdom of God. And that's what's going to prepare us for renewal and for revival. And that's what will keep us from fighting wars and battles with the wrong people. When we realize it's not this person, then there's something behind it that is, is, that's where the real battle is. And it will keep me from using weapons that are worldly weapons. And I'll be using spiritual weapons like Paul said, and I'm going to end with this. He said, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of forces, of fortresses. And the Bible says the anger of man does not bring in the righteousness of God. And so um, I'm going to pray right now. And I want to pray for a couple things specifically. Uh, One of them is for revelation in whatever area of life you need it in order to have the conscious beliefs become a part of just your subconscious mind or the spirit of your heart, that, that, that what you believe here just become part of that so that the reactions of life come out of there and, and not out of anything else. And then also allegiances. I think I'm going to start with that, okay? So just, uh, just close your eyes, open your eyes, wherever you want to do, whether you're here in this room or whether you're uh, taking part through the live stream. I, I pray, Holy Spirit, I just pray, Holy Spirit, come right now and reveal to us any allegiances we have that are, that are competing with you. Speak right now, Lord. As it reveals to you, then just simply do this. It's called repentance. Yes, Lord, I'm sorry I put that ahead of you. Tell him that. Say, Lord, I want to rearrange my allegiances. I want top allegiance to be to you, so I give up my allegiance to that. Not that it's not important, but it's not going to be ahead of you any longer. And then I'm going to pray this also for revelation. Uh, Father, I pray in Jesus' name, just like Paul prayed, that you would give every person here under, under the sound of my voice, whether here in this room or at home, live stream or wherever they might be listening, Holy Spirit, give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they can know, know who you are, so that they can know your goodness. And so that the confidence that you are the provider, that you are the one who gives us wisdom in the moments we need it, that you're the one that gives us strength, that you're the one who gives us joy in life, let that become part of of the spirit of our mind, Lord, the spirit of our heart. Let's release that now to you. In Jesus' name, amen.